Welcome in, everyone. It is Thursday, January 24th. I'm your host, Mark Reel, and you are watching State of the Family Courts. Uh, tonight, we have a, a very special guest hailing from the state of Georgia. Um, I'll just say he, he's one of us um, who has, has personally experienced family court and now helps both men and women in the state of Georgia navigate through the process. So um, I just spent a weekend with him in Florida, but uh, and now we're doing this uh, online. But uh, we got Georgia attorney Ed Heck. Ed, welcome and thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. It was great spending some time with you in Florida last week. We've known each other for quite a while now uh, through the yeah. weekly Zoom coaching calls, and now we know each other in person. I'm glad yeah, to be definitely. here. Definitely. It was good to get down and see everybody in person. You see their face on Zoom regularly. So we uh, we start off now every single episode, and um, I didn't tell you any of the questions, but we, we start off with some rapid fire so the people can get to know you. So we'll start off with with five kind of lighter uh you can expand a little bit but less than 10 seconds okay Sounds so good. you got a week nothing going on at the firm where are you going on vacation uh, california i used to live there and i haven't been there in a long time either california I know that. Or, or south florida if it's winter time south florida i didn't know that where where'd you live out here in california i was in the bay area I, okay so you're up I, north yeah, that was in a previous life when I was in technology marketing sales. Okay, that 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 makes a lot of sense. A lot of tech going on up there, um, and and I, I would have to agree with you on the South Florida. I lived in Miami for a year, and uh, no more than a week though. I don't think you can do more than a week in Miami. <clears throat> so, um, last meal. What are you going to? What, what's your favorite meal? Uh, something seafood. If it's my last meal, I can indulge, you know, seafood, steak. If I'm going to live longer than that meal, though, I probably want to throw some salad in with it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> that That's fair enough, fair enough. And so you're in the Atlanta area. Where exactly in the Atlanta area are you? I am about 25 minutes north of downtown Atlanta in a town called Alpharetta. And it's a very nice suburban, up, up, upper middle class suburban, uh, high tech, they kind of call it the Silicon Valley of the East. There's lots and lots of technology companies here. Um, got a good uh, family base. You know, they, they call it a bedroom community as opposed to uh, some of the other parts of, of Atlanta, more in town where it's more uh, singles and non-married. This tends to be where a lot of people go to build their McMansions and, uh, and then commute into at, at downtown Atlanta or wherever else they need to. But more and more, uh, the, the technology, the IT, the, uh, those kinds of companies are, uh, locating in Alpharetta. So that's really good for this area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so then you serve the, the greater Atlanta area with your firm, correct? I do. I actually have clients all over the state of Georgia. Uh, okay. most of the clients are in the, um, probably a dozen or so counties that are in the, uh, Metro Atlanta area. I think there's something like 18 or 20 counties that comprise Metro Atlanta area. We probably have cases going on at any one time in probably eight of those counties. It, it kind of rotates. There's probably five or six that we always have cases going on in. But yeah, we serve, we can do a case anywhere, especially now that so much is happening by um, Zoom. I've got cases going on in areas that I normally wouldn't have taken the cases if I had to drive there. So that's really opened yeah. things up. It's been 
one, uh, I guess, benefit of um, what's happened in the last couple of years with the, the remote workplace. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so um, where can people reach you at? They can reach me by emailing at ed at hecht family law that's spelled h-e-c-h-t familylaw.com they can go to our website at www.hectfamilylaw.com they can look for me on facebook uh, instagram and they can also call into the office at 678-887-6200 awesome awesome okay so if you're a dad in the in georgia um ed, ed is your man so um We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll transition. We'll get into the, the body of this interview. Um, and we'll start out with the state of Georgia. So every single week, um, I, I always mention, and we talk a little bit about um, an organization called National Parents Organization grades out every single state in terms of their statutory custody laws. Mm-hmm. So the state of Georgia grades out as an F. <laughs> and the reasoning behind it is Georgia is one of only nine states lacking a presumptive parenting time adjustment formula. Instead, it relies on unnecessary, costly, and lengthy court deviation procedures, generally inaccessible to lower income parents. So, sounds like once you get a temporary order in Georgia, it can be complicated and costly to get it changed. So, where I'll start this conversation is this dad walks into your office and, and, and we'll say uh, a man who his wife's filed for divorce. He's just been served with divorce papers, walks into your office. What, what are you going to tell him and what is his process going to look like? I'm going to tell him if he's still in the home, do not under any circumstances agree to leave voluntarily um, because that's going to put the, the, the custody advantage with mom uh, and it's going to put dad at uh, the mercy of mom telling him when he can see the kids. Uh, there have been some situations where there's just so much tension in the home that dad is concerned about mom trumping up a, a protective order or some other nefarious uh, move within the courts. And so what I'll say in those situations is, first of all, if you end up you know, in, in jail or with a TPO against you, you're not going to be able to be a very effective father. So what I would say is in those circumstances, if there's going to be a separation of the parties, let's get something in writing so that the visitation and parenting time rights are on paper and there's no misunderstanding. Now, one of the uh, mistakes I see a lot is lack of specificity on uh, parenting plans, uh, ambiguity, such as uh friday to sunday well what time friday what time return on sunday if there's no school friday does dad get the kids thursday night does dad get the kids friday morning does he get them a specific time so ambiguity is one of the things that i tell everyone especially dads you gotta watch out for that and i look at things with a a critical eye uh from the perspective of what can go wrong uh i'm as a, a a divorce single dad myself, I know what it's like to uh, deal with schedules and see my kids according to the default schedule. Uh, and what I, the reason I answer, I say it that way is the default schedule should be the minimum amount of time that you get to see your kids. Unfortunately, too many parents tend to use that as the 
maximum time. I see a lot of dads who want to see their kids more and the moms will say, well, this is what you got. You know, this is what's on paper. And we pointed out to them that, well, wait, that's, that's the minimum. And we try to encourage them to work together. But uh, the other things I would tell dads is be present in their kids' lives, be at everything, go to curriculum nights, go to doctor appointments, um, go to every extracurricular, go to every practice you can go, soccer games. And I tell them that not only from the standpoint of thinking ahead that if we're going to have a, a custody battle in a courtroom, I want to show that dad is, is equally involved with the kids and should have equal time with the kids. But it's the bigger picture in this is there's children involved. And these kids need to know that they have two parents who love them like crazy. And it's not their fault that the marriage between or the relationship, if it's a paternity legitimation case, not their fault that the relationship between the parents didn't work out. And um, I want the kids to have a clear message that dad is involved and that he wants to be involved and that you know, mom or the courts or nobody is going to be able to kick him out of their lives or limit his presence in their lives because kids need both parents to, to, you know, to have that healthy sense of self and to give that to their own kids someday. You know, it's hard to give what you didn't get. Wow. Very, very powerful. A lot of gems in there. So I, I, I've got five or six things out of just that one monologue there. A lot, a lot of gold. So thank you for that. So let's start out with, and this is something, and um, we can kind of go back and forth on this one. So one of the biggest um, issues that I run into around custody and divorce cases is I feel like probably about 50% of the time, by the time dad gets to me, he's already moved out. Mm. Um, and so can you, can you talk a little bit deeper about kind of the issues as the process plays out if dad leaves the home prior to any divorce proceeding really getting going? Well, if that happens, he needs a really, really strong father's rights attorney to help him ensure that he's uh, going to be able to level the playing field. You know, he needs somebody who understands the biases of certain judges. You know, judges are humans. They're affected by their own experiences. Uh, I could probably take a sheet of paper and list certain judges who I think are very fair to dads and certain judges who I think have a strong bias toward mom. And uh, But when the client comes to me, I look at what county are they in, who's their judge, very important question. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's the counsel on the opposing side? Um, I'll try and work with opposing party or opposing counsel to get dad fair visitation. If we find that we're getting resistance on that, then it's time to start filing uh, a motion for custody and visitation time um, to get somebody who has some power over these folks to be able to hopefully level the playing field. And then the other thing is I would, I tell my clients to create a, a documented trail of their attempts to be as involved as possible in their kids' lives. For instance, um, asking for uh weekend parenting time, weeknight parenting time, all these things to show the court that dad is trying to be active in his, his kid's life. Because there's a code in Georgia, OCGA 19-9-3, which lists 17 factors that 
the judges can consider in making a custody determination. One of those factors is who is the parent most likely to foster and encourage a healthy parental relationship between the other parent and the child? And friendly parent factor. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to use that friendly parent factor. That's uh, what we call it out here. That's good. That's good. That's good. We'll use that. So I make sure that I'm I'm loading up as much as I can for my client on putting that one in his favor. And I take my clients through those factors for custody determination. I even did a five-part video series some years ago. It's actually out on YouTube. Uh, and viewers here can probably go look it up. Um, and I'll probably re-tag re it or recut it so it's easier to find. But I go through the 17 factors for custody determination in detail in Georgia. Uh, if anyone has questions, they can email me, they can call me, and we can talk about those. But it's very important to look at, okay, out of the 17, you know, probably five, six, seven of them are probably going to be ties between the parties. But then we got to look at, okay, where does dad stand strong? Where is he likely to prevail and get the tick in his favor? And where are his vulnerabilities? What are the things that he's doing or has done that could potentially be a vulnerability in a custody case? And we talk about all those things. Um, and what we're doing is we're trying simultaneously, we're trying to resolve the case, but we're also building our playbook for going to trial if we have to. Yeah. Uh, we don't wait until everything is broken down and we're three weeks or four weeks out from trial to first start talking about how we're going to put on a, a case to, to try and get our, our client um you know, equal or, or better parenting time and, and custody with the kids. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about it is le leaving the home and you mentioned it, you put it really, you, you put it brilliantly there. It's, it, there are instances of domestic violence allegations or being the victim of domestic yeah, violence that necessitate those that you leaving the home. But I see far too often that essentially the guy gets sick of what's going on and he just ups and leaves, go gets, goes and gets an apartment, goes and stays with his brother or his mom or his aunt, whoever it may be. And then all of a sudden, there's a lack of access. And until there's a court order in place, there are no rules. Right. Both of you have 100%. I, I always tell clients that the easy way to put it is both of you have 100% legal and physical custody until a, a judge says otherwise. That's right. So I, I've had, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've had cases where mom moves out. Uh, I had a case last year where mom moved out, went back to her parents in uh, Northeast, Northwest Georgia, took a two month old baby and it took a court order and about three months of time for us to be able to get dad rights to be able to see his baby and, and maybe it was longer it's more it was probably about six months so he was out of this baby's life for the first you know basically six out of the first eight months of this baby's life and that's just wrong and by the way remember i talked about how the judge's own experiences and proclivities can uh can affect this that particular judge that we had um was not the kind of judge you want to do this with and we prevailed for that client and and he was he sent us pictures he had tears in his eyes he couldn't stop thanking us uh when he finally was reunified with his daughter and so that felt really good to be able to do that for him and and you know just to right a wrong yeah but you mentioned six months this takes time and so yeah. it's it well, we I, i'll use the tennis analogy it's kind of an, an unforced error that a lot of men make before yeah. getting counsel 
And I mean, hey, I, I think as as uh, family law attorneys, um, I, I would probably say this number may be low, but stats are out there that 70% of divorces are filed by the woman. Um, I would probably argue in my experience, that's probably on the low end. Yeah. So you get blindsided by something, you get upset, you leave, and all of a sudden, um, the playing fields may not be even to begin with, but you've definitely made it more difficult because now when she has an attorney, they're going to be like, oh, look, the kids are already living with her. He's not right. involved. Right. And there's not supposed to be any presumption, even with a temporary order that give, let's say the temporary order gives mom temporary primary custody. There's not supposed to be any presumption that that's how it's going to be in a final. But you know what? If you're dealing with air hardening clay, the shape that you put that clay into, it tends the longer the time goes, the longer this temporary order stays in place, the more the clay hardens into the shape that it was put into. And it gets very hard to change it after the fact. So yeah, yeah. all you dads out there listening, don't leave your home. Call me, call Mark, call one of the other people in your state and, and let us get going on your case before you make that move. Because once you move out, it's really hard to take your pick up your stuff and move back in. Yeah. And it just creates chaos for the kids. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So another thing you just mentioned, and this is this is one of the things clients look at me sideways, or I guess individuals who come in for consultations with me, one of the first questions I ask will be, okay, what courthouse are you at? And then who's your judge? Yep. Who your judges can make a huge impact. Um, I mean, I, I'm here in Riverside County, San Bernardino County, Orange County. Really, in, in those three counties, you give me a situation and I can probably, with pretty good certainty, guess what a judge's temporary order is going to be on that situation. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of having an attorney. And, and Ed, you mentioned this. It's a situation where if there's a certain situation, a certain facts pattern, we've probably seen something similar, and we're going in front of this judge, we can better position you to have the outcome you want because we know what that judge wants. We know what that judge's tendencies are. Yep. All right. So we'll, we'll move on. This, this is, okay, you, you brought up this issue, specificity. And I think this is the biggest pain point after the fact for, I'll just say, all parents that have been through family court. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you talk about specificity in the order and you mentioned uh, what does weekend mean, what, what are some, what are say the two or three things that dads need to be aware of that you should have as specific as possible in your order? Well, yeah. So especially if, if dad happens to be the non-primary custodial parent, then the order is really specifying when he's going to be able to spend time with his kids because mom has the kids all the other times other than what's in the order. So we need to get start and stop times. We need to get parameters in there for uh, Friday and Monday holidays. For uh, We need to have different set of, of um, parenting time arrangements for uh, summer months versus the, the regular ongoing school months because that could affect things too. For instance, um, in a lot of cases, mom might be primary during the school year where dad sees the kids let's say less than half the time but there's no reason why during summertime dad can't have uh 50 or perhaps even more time with the kids 
because they don't have a school schedule to be on. So even if the parents live far apart from each other, maybe dad gets them for, you know, first five weeks, mom gets them for the next five weeks. Most, most counties have about 10 weeks off. Uh, same thing with um, the uh, holidays. Oh, speaking of holidays. So what we do is we make, we try to make sure in almost every case that uh, it, one parent's going to have Thanksgiving. The other parent's going to have the first part of the uh, winter um, Christmas, New Year's break. And, uh, and then it rotates vice versa. But we want to make sure that there's as little ambiguity as possible. So dads out there who already have cases going, maybe you've already got an attorney and just watching this and, and trying to learn what you can. Ask yourself, the way this is written, the way your plan is written right now, what could possibly go wrong? Where could there be an honest or dishonest mistake about when you're going to be able to see your kids? Uh, more and more here in, in Georgia, dads are getting their kids, for instance, if it's their weekend, they're getting the kids uh, typically Thursday after school and um, maybe bringing back to school on Monday morning, as well as uh, overnight during the week. What we try to do is go with not less than probably five out of 14 days. And if you think about it, if they have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's four nights right there. And then the following week when it's mom's week and her upcoming weekend, maybe we do uh, a Thursday evening so that the kids are not going more than five days without seeing dad. Um, and that's that's almost 50-50. Almost, uh, almost Sometimes we do a six-eight schedule, but in terms of specificity, we need to have parameters on where they're going to meet if they're far apart. Is the parent who's handing the child off, are they going to drive all the way to the other parent? And then the parent who's, who gets done with their, their, their time with the kid, drive them all the way back. Are they going to meet in the middle at a, you know, at a, a, a Kroger parking lot somewhere? Um, we need to make sure, oh, we need to talk about who is an authorized transporter of the children. Because one thing you don't want to do is having new boyfriend, new girlfriend, uh, friends and, and, and people that the kids don't know or that the other parent doesn't know. We don't want to have them involved in, in the process. And it, that can cause more problems than it solves. You know, you just got to make yourself available. And dads, don't use proxies to go get your kids. Show that you're they're important enough and you're making the time to go get your own kids. Um, what else? Uh, oh, we didn't even get into child support yet. We're, we're still talking about custody. Um, <laughs> no, you, you, you dropped all that gold at the beginning, and I, I, we just got it. We got to dig deeper. So another one that came up, you've mentioned it a couple times, the default in Georgia. So what is – so I'll start here. So what is the default? And then how in Georgia are those initial orders set? Well, there's not really uh, on paper that it literally says there's no presumption of a right of custody to one parent or the other. Mm -hmm. But if mom, you know, up here in, in North Fulton County, you got a lot of situations where you know, one parent might be the breadwinner and the other parent might be the stay at home parent. Uh, and a lot of these cases I've had, dad's the breadwinner. So dad's off, you know, slaying the dragon mom's home taking care of the cave and, and the kids and everything. And it bothers me that that would create a presumption that in a divorce, the, you know, what is dad getting for uh, going out there and busting his tail to make enough to support the family in an expensive North Atlanta area uh, in a divorce. He's, he's getting less time with his kids because he's out there working hard to try and provide for his family. 
so that mom can be home with the kids. And I consider that to be a gift from dad to his wife and dad to his kids. The fact that he's sacrificing the time he'd love to be with the kids to go out there and work his tail off so that they can have the gift of a full-time parent when so many kids nowadays are latchkey kids. Because so many, you know, so many parents now, both of them are working. Kids are going to daycare after after school. So we just we try and bring that up and say, look, the the reward for working hard for your family should not be that, hey, when you're when your marriage or the relationship you're in, if you're not married, when that falls apart, well, now you're you're at a disadvantage. And we, we bring that up with the courts. Um, but you know, a lot of it has to do with you got to know who your who your judges and and what their leanings are, what their own experiences are. Um, for instance, here in Georgia, we've got some judges that we know for a fact grew up in broken homes, and they are strong fathers' rights um, uh, judges. Now that doesn't mean they're going to ignore the facts of the case. What it means is they're they're leveling the playing field, and there's not that default um, presumption that mom should be the one who raises the kids. Now, by the way, there are a couple of judges I've come across and we, uh, several of us, a lot of us family law attorneys know who they are, where like, if you, if you're representing dad and you're going before the judge, you better have your A game on. And for a dad to go in unrepresented would be like, you know, going out into a, a, a rugby game or a football game without any gear on. So um, dads, again, if you're going through any kind of a custody situation, you get one shot at it and then, you know, you don't get to go back and get a redo. Mark, I'm sure you get calls from dads just like I do that they thought that this would go easy. So they went to a status conference or a temporary hearing um, and they got bamboozled. They got they got blown away. Maybe uh, mom had an attorney. And now they come to us and say, what can you do to get this changed for yeah. us? And that's real hard to do. You know, it's like trying to unring a, a bell. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. It, that's that's hard. so, so common. I feel like uh, in a lot of situations, it's either dad, mom went to a paralegal and had an agreement drafted up and they submitted it to the court. And dad really didn't read it. And dad's given away the farm. And, and two years later, when things go south, He's, oh, what can you do? I didn't know I signed that. I, I just signed it because she said it was fair. Yeah. Or, yeah, the the phone call as the individual is leaving court saying, what can you do? This just happened right. to me. Right. Yeah, I, I thought we would do it amicably. My answer to them is always, if everything was amicable, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be dealing with this. You know? And I, I say this, the amicable piece, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of when you have a situation when, say, we're the dad and we're filing and things aren't, aren't too bad and it's just they don't get along. Yeah, we're not going to go in and we're not going to file like this fire-breathing brief about how awful right. of a mom she is. But you, you, as, as, a, as representing yourself pro se, that can be much more challenging. An attorney's probably going to have the skill and the knowledge understanding of the system to thread that needle where yeah. you're you're just you're just bulldozing the system hoping it works out if yeah. you're trying to do that on your own and i want i want to roll mean, back but i want to roll back some real quick i didn't mean i want to roll back oh good 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 i didn't mean to imply that just because you're going to divorce it can't be amicable mine was completely amicable you know thank thank god thank my ex uh that we didn't have any of these uh, you know, knockdown type issues at all. But 
if dads are representing themselves, they need to at least make sure that somebody who's qualified to look for the gotchas or the honest mistakes uh, or the other things that can affect them to make sure somebody takes a look at it and advises them. And I do get a lot of calls about those. Uh, and I review documents from people and I'll let them know what needs to be fixed. Um, sometimes they submit documents. The parties might might try and do it themselves. They're an attorney and they submit the documents. And the court says, you know, sorry, but we can't finalize this for you. There's things that are missing. And then they'll ask the clerk or they'll ask the uh, judge's staff what's missing. And the judge's staff and the clerk, they can't tell them. They'll be giving legal advice. So occasionally I'll get, uh, actually it's more than occasionally, it's probably a couple times a month, I'll get calls about reviewing documents um, pre-filing. And I'm happy to do that. Um, always, I always end up earning my keep on that because there's always something that we're going to find that is going to help prevent a problem now or prevent a problem down the road years down the road. All right. So I want to roll it back to something here because I, I, and I want to turn it because this is something I I guess I've been on my soapbox as of late. So (laughs) the, the, the standard situation in family court is that dad earns the money, mom's home, taking care of the kids. Now that's changing rapidly. There's more and more women that are the breadwinners. Um, I don't have too many dads who are stay-at-home dads, but that's becoming increasingly common. But of with the dads that are breadwinners, when you come into our offices and you say, I want 50-50 or I want to maximize your time, if you're off slaying the dragon, as Ed put it, for 12 hours a day, you have to realize that you're going to have to take a step back and those roles are going to go away. You're going to have to be, okay, you may not be able to stay past 3.30 and you may have to finish your work day at home because you got to pick them up from school and you got to get them dinner. Or you may have to make sure they have breakfast and they're on the bus before they go to school. So many men, in theory, want that 50-50 custody. But one of the issues I see is you're not willing to step away from work to make that happen. Or, or able, it may not even be a voluntary thing. They may not be able to in order to keep their jobs. Now, yeah. I've had I've had clients who actually change jobs so that they could be in a better position for their kids or change their shift. It may be the same job, but uh, if they're able to change your shift so that they can fit it into a, a more, um, uh, you know, more conducive um, parenting schedule. Yeah, because I have I have a lot of dads who blue collar work in the trades that go to work at five, six o'clock in the morning. And it's like, OK, if you have to do that, you're never going to be able to put the kids on the bus or take them to school. And so that could cause issues, especially if the parents live nearby, because what judge is going to think it's reasonable that half the time they have to wake up at one house and then be dropped off at the other early in the morning just so they can sleep at dad's yeah. house. And it goes the other way too. the guys who maybe they work more office jobs and it's, hey, you don't you don't walk out the office doors until six, six thirty. Well, when you become a single parent, that may be some of the that may be one of the things where you have to broach that topic. Yeah. You know, the other thing is dads need to also keep this in mind. If you're going to fight for time, fight for the awake time. Don't don't necessarily fight for where they put their head on a pillow at night. And when I was going through, when I was in law school, I was a single dad with kids and three, probably three days a week, I was coming home between my, my morning classes and my evening class to see my kids. They were pretty young at that time. 
And I would see them during the day for two, three hours or so. And then they go back to mom and it worked real well. And I was fortunate. She was very, um, very agreeable with me on that. And for me personally, it developed a belief in me. This is before I even became an attorney. I went through a divorce before I became an attorney. So I didn't go through divorces as an attorney. So I know what it's like to be dad going through all these different issues and worrying about, you know, when am I going to see my kids? Am I going to, you know, what's life going to be like now that, now that the whole situation is different. But what I did was I made sure I put an emphasis on awake time rather than pillow time because the kids, when they're asleep, they don't know where they are anyway, but I wanted to be with them. You know, I, I drove, so I spent longer in traffic than I did with the kids between the classes just so that I could spend that time with them. And that meant everything to me. And I think it meant, meant something to them that, that they were getting that time with me. Yeah, so definitely but, effort. Hmm? That effort, it goes into another point you made, actually, the number, the next one I wrote down, be present in your kids' lives, be involved. Um, I think a lot of men, they get stuck in these roles where you may not go to the doctor's appointments, you may not be involved in the day-to-day healthcare, but if you want to be, you want to maximize your time with your kids, you need to know what's going on at school. You need to know what's going on medically. You need to, to you need to know and be present at their athletic events, at their extracurricular activities. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for dads who they've played the role of they've worked a lot and they maybe haven't been super active, and now they're facing a divorce or a child custody dispute? What advice would you have for them to get more involved? Well, make, just like you were talking about, make the time. But you also have to be uh, careful about not trying to put on your cape and be super dad and having it just seem like you're just making a show. You know, if, if you haven't been to any of those things, maybe have a, a conversation with, um, with the mom and, you know, just say, look, in the past, I didn't attend as many of these different things because, you know, we were a team and we were raising the kids together and things like that are that situation is changing now and I want to, I'm going to start attending these things, but I want you to know it's not for show. It's not for play. It's not for advantage. It's just that our relationship as parents is changing now. And I want to become more involved and not put all the burden on you to keep me informed of everything that's going on. Um, Show up for school conferences, talk to the teachers, get to know who they are. I'll tell you um, when I have had, cases against uh, dads in court, and I've had them on the witness stand, I have asked them questions about the schooling of the kids. I have asked them questions about the dates of birth of the kids. And there is a certain uh, group of questions that dads better be able to answer. They better know the name of the school their kids go to. They better know what grade they're in. And that might seem like so incredibly obvious, but you know, dads can lose track of that stuff. Dad's like, uh, well, I think they're, uh, they're in seventh grade. Well, no, the kid's in you know, fifth grade, uh, or, you know, uh, and when the kids are very young and they only have like one or two teachers, the, the parents, they should know who these teachers are. You know, if they're in high school and they have like eight different teachers throughout the day, maybe can't memorize all eight. But I think, I think the, the, the viewers understand what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. Know who the doctors are, know who the dentists are. So that when you end up on the stand, I, I can't yell that stuff out or hold up a piece of paper and show you the answer you know, sitting at the uh, at the table while you're on the stand being questioned. But I'll tell you what, I've had opposing counsel just like lean their head forward and just scratch their head while I'm asking their, their client questions as simple as, what's your daughter's date of birth? Um, and 
I, I share that to let to let the viewers know I've had the experience on both sides. So I can I've represented women, so I, I know certain things that are going to come up against uh, men in the courtroom. So that helps me to represent the men better. So just make sure you know all these things. Don't seem um, like you're like you're grandstanding. Um, you know, don't. And when I, I'm going back to showing up at all the appointments and all. Don't go from being, you know, uh, uninvolved. And all of a sudden now it's like you're trying to make up for eight years or 12 years of inactivity. Uh, and also keep them on the ages of your kids. At a certain age, your kids don't want you coming to their annual doctor appointments, you know. Um, and they want a little bit of a sense of independence. But just let your kids know if they're old enough to where you can talk like this to them, let them know that even though things are changing, the one thing is not changing is your dad still loves you and I'm going to be as involved and active in everything. I'm here for you. Uh, you can call me in the middle of the night. I'm going to answer that phone and be there for you. Um, mom and I are going to try and get through this as amicably as possible and make sure that you're, and this is really, really important for dads to tell the kids, make sure that your experience as a child, your childhood is going to be as minimally affected as possible. And frankly, if they're coming from a high conflict situation, their childhood is going to be better with the parents separated from each other. You know, the kids are better off being in, in two loving homes than one fighting home. Now, the other thing that I tell dads to do is look, try and duplicate what's in the other home. For instance, if the kids have favorite games, favorite videos, favorite this, favorite that, that they like to have over at mom's home, duplicate that. Don't make it so that they can't play their Xbox or Nintendo when they're over at dad's because it happens to be over at mom's. Now, that's up to dad to decide how much screen time he wants to give the kids. But the point is, Try and minimize the fact that these kids are caught in a divorce or a uh, dissolving of a relationship that wasn't a marriage. Try and minimize the effect on the kids. One simple way of doing that, find out what their favorite foods are, find out what their favorite toys are, um, get, get them clothes. Stop worrying about, oh, mom, I'm giving her child support. She's got to buy all the clothes. Stop with that pettiness. Get some clothes, spend some money. Do something above and beyond what you're actually required to do on paper because you'll never get a thank you for doing what's on paper. And you'll never get any credit for doing what's on paper because what's on paper is an order of the court. It's not being done by you because you want to. So, you know, be generous with mom too. I mean, if, if you know mom is incurring some extraordinary expenses, uh, whatever, help out with those things. A little bit of that kind of kindness goes a long, long way. Don't be petty. I'll tell you what, that should be like, that should have been the first thing I said. Don't be petty. Because you don't want to win the battle that we face in the courtroom and then lose the war with your relationship post-divorce or post-court, um, you know, post-paternity, post-legitimation. And you don't want to lose the battle for the hearts and minds of your kids because you act like a jerk while you're going through this whole process because you felt you were being wrong. And maybe you are being wrong. But the kids, they just want to live a happy, normal life and not be caught between parents who are warring with each other. They love you both. And either one of you could end up screwing that one up. And I'm getting on my soapbox and just going to going now because I'm thinking about all the cases I've had like that. I'm thinking, what would I wanted to tell these? Well, I did tell these guys while we're going through the course. But what would I want them to know before they even call me, before they even take action on their case? Hopefully yeah. some of you guys out there watching this stuff are going to take some of this advice I'm giving you, put it into place now so that I don't have to try and undo something or Mark or one of, one of the other Guy, uh, attorneys you call, we don't have to try and undo the things that you messed up because you're 
feeling hurt and aggrieved over the fact that that relationship is ending, you know? Yep. We can't change the past, but you can change starting right now. This is the past for tomorrow, for next year, for five years from now. So we can change the past. If you think about it from that point, this is next year's past. This is tomorrow's past. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So uh, we'll kind of shift gears here. Another major topic for a lot of dads um, and that we go over on a weekly basis is um, protective orders, restraining orders, um, generally just domestic violence allegations um, that occur coming out of relationships. so I think you meant, I think you, I think you use the term protective order. Is that what you yeah. guys use in Georgia? Okay. So yeah. what, so what is the protective order process in family court like in Georgia? Well, the, the way it works, it's a two-step process. So first step is they file a petition for an ex parte temporary protective order. Ex parte means literally means missing a party. What it means is, they put their allegations down in a petition and they have to meet certain statutory code requirements. You can't just say, I feel like I'm being treated like trash by this other uh, person and I'm going to go try and get them shoved out of the home, whatever. So there are very specific uh, requirements. Now, once you fill that petition out, a judge is going to look at it and decide based upon uh, the allegations on that piece of paper, that are and only hear from the petitioner, which is why it's called ex parte missing a party. They're going to decide whether or not to issue an immediate order of protection. Basically, getting the other party out of the uh, picture uh, could mean out of the home, uh, cutting off uh, communication and just giving that level of protection. Now, that can only stay in place for a maximum of 30 days. Now, typically, um, there'll be the next hearing, which is required, it will typically happen somewhere between seven and, you know, 25 days. It's very rare that it goes right out to the wire. Uh, And at that next hearing, that's then called the 12 month protective order hearing. That is a full evidentiary hearing where the party that is the respondent, the defendant, if you will, uh, has a chance to hear the allegations against them, see the evidence presented, defend their uh defend themselves against those accusations and allegations present whatever evidence they have that uh hopefully from their standpoint will defeat those allegations and accusations um and and so i do these all the time and i'm you know we've got a good good record of them because if you don't know what you're doing you're gonna have a hard time getting your tpo uh, to go through and give you the order of protection. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have a hard time defeating even an illegitimate or, you know, unfair. When I say illegitimate, I mean, doesn't really meet the, the, the requirements. If you don't have good representation who knows what they're doing, you're going to have a hard time on either side. Um, so I look at the facts of the case and I measure it against the statute. Is it, and there are certain requirements, for instance, there has to have been some kind of a domestic relationship between the two parties. Um, former married or former uh, relationship. It could be um, uh, familial, meaning parent and child. Uh, It could be, um, I mean, those are the the major ones. The idea is there has to have been some kind of a domestic relationship. Otherwise, you go for some other kind of a a, a TPO. But there's there's two kinds of TPOs in Georgia. One of them is for 
family violence. And then the other one is for stalking. I guess those those requirements I was just uh, listing out, those are more for the family violence because you have to have that familial domestic relationship. Um, and the consequences are quite severe because this is a, uh, it's a civil action that has a criminal consequence. So if you have a TPO issued against you and you violate it, now you're looking at uh, potentially being arrested for aggravated stalking, which is a felony. And you've got big problems on your hand if that happens. Hey, so let's put a pause there. No matter how bullshit that temporary restraining order, temporary protective order that gets put on you is, do not violate it. Because that'll pretty much guarantee that the permanent one's going to get granted and there are going to be criminal penalties. So, exactly. So... Yeah, we, we deal with these all the time on both sides. We deal with lots of, you know, sometimes sometimes they are trumped up to gain advantage in a court case. Uh, a lot of times they're not, but, you know, it's fairly transparent when they are. Um, and we, we just, you know, we bang them back down and, and, and do our best for our clients. Sometimes now, you know, actually in a lot of cases, we can actually re achieve a settlement. We don't actually have to go before the judge. And if there's... Uh, an ongoing case, a custody case, a divorce case, a paternity legitimation case, what we can do is issue a, a, um, a temporary order into that other case, which eliminates the need for the um, temporary protective order, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good thing for both parties, frankly. It's a good thing for the party who's been accused because now they're not, you know, running the risk of uh, finding themselves uh, with a felony for aggravated stalking. And it's good for the petitioner because it gives them that level of protection that they're looking for. I mean, they're in, in an honest TPO. They are really, really scared or concerned or something has happened. They feel that they really need to be to have parameters in place. And so they go for the TPO. But if we got the other case going already, we can put the parameters into that other case. No contact with each other. If you need contact with each other, respectful communication only about the kids, not about the case. Uh, there's a few uh, parenting apps. One of them, the popular one, is called Our Family Wizard, which allows the parties to communicate in a way through an app that the court then has access to all the communications between them. So uh, there's certain things we can do. But you know, sometimes if if I'm representing the uh, the, the party that's been accused of something, sometimes we're just not going to. Like I had one of those a couple of weeks ago. Um, I offered to, to put in a temporary order in the divorce case. The other side said, no. I said, okay, well, you're going to get, you know, I said this to the other attorney, you're going to get blindsided when we go before the judge because there's a lot of things your own client hasn't told you. And sure enough, they turned down the opportunity to have a, a, uh, uh, an interim order in the divorce case. We went forward. We defeated the TPO. Uh, the judge felt that the, the, the other party had zero credibility. We defeated the TPO, and so now they don't have any any interim order in the divorce case. So uh, if we feel, you know, if our client and we feel that we can't reach a resolution by issuing something either by agreement in a TPO or by uh, entry of an order into an already existing case to achieve um, some level of protection for both parties, then we just go forward with it. Yeah, I think that that's a big thing that I think a lot of guys – don't necessarily think about there are very real consequences i don't i don't i don't know how it is in georgia but in california if you get a restraining orders which is what we call them out here granted against you there's automatically a presumption that for five years you should you should not have any legal or physical custody 
You can wow. only have visitation for a five-year period. That's the presumption. So wow. a lot of times when we go in there and the guy's like, this is all false. None of this is true. This is trumped up. I just want to defeat it. And I'm like, no, you just want this to go away. It doesn't matter what we have to do to get this to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, we don't have that. Our default is one year and then we can come back for uh, an extension on it uh, using the same allegations as, as we got the original TPO from. And when I say we, it, you know, guys end up having to file them against against the women as well. It's just not just the women filing against the guys. I would say it's probably, you know, it's probably 50 50. Um, people get emotional, people can get crazy, people can get vindictive. You know, the people that people that we see in our day-to-day lives that we know at, at, at arm's length, uh, they can be completely different beyond closed doors, you know. And we all we all we all get uh, triggered sometimes and uh and, and lose our cool. And sometimes it, you know, for some people it may get out of hand and next you know you got a TPO. And then if you have a TPO, a lot of times it, it's a, it's not just against the adult, the other adult it can affect your ability to have communication with the kids. Um, there could be child support and other things ordered uh, in a TPO. There can be a, a, an order to hand over uh, keys to a car. I mean, it's it's some serious stuff. So, yeah, we try and work those out if we can. But if not, we go full guns on it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we'll, we'll wrap up. We're at about 50 minutes here. So we'll wrap up with one last topic. Uh, the topic I think that comes up in every single consultation, uh, child support. So how does Georgia do child support? Georgia uses something called the income shares models. Just to give you some context, it used to be that they only looked at what the paying party, what the paying party is making. And then they took a percentage range of their income it was somewhere like between 17 and 23%. That was the old days. About uh, 15 years ago, they changed it to looking at the incomes of both parties. And it's all done in a uh, in a spreadsheet. So it's not, we don't do it manually. We just enter the information in the spreadsheet. But then there's deviation pages and all. So they enter it. They look at uh, mom's income, dad's income, uh, uh, cost for things like health care, uh, other expenses, extracurricular activities, uh, etc. Um, after school, daycare, things like that. Put it into the um, the worksheet, and then it pops out a number. Then we can make some deviations, either upper or lower to it. Um, what I try and do as much as I can, you know, especially when I'm when I'm representing uh, dads who are most frequently the ones paying the child support. I try and keep certain items that I know are not going to be forever items. I try and keep them out of the child support worksheet. I'll give you an example. Uh, daycare. Let's say you got a four-year-old and six-year-old kids. And the four-year-old is in full-time daycare. And, you know, maybe that's 1200 bucks a month. Six-year-old kid might be in after-school daycare. And maybe that's, you know, 300 bucks a month. Um, if those things get put into the child support worksheet, dad will be paying on those items until – he goes back and gets those things removed by doing a modification of the child support. If we keep those off the child support worksheet and we handle them off the worksheet in a percentage split basis, whether it's 50, 50, 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever it is, those are then going to be reimbursed on an as incurred basis uh, after showing proof of the expense. So that means that when you're no longer paying 1200 bucks a month, for the four-year-old, because now the four-year-old is in kindergarten or first grade, and it tapers down to where maybe it's $300 a month, 
Well, then dad is only paying his X percentage on the $300 a month. And when that kid is, when the younger one is six, maybe the older one is eight. Maybe the eight-year-old doesn't need any aftercare. Maybe because they're eight, uh, it's down to $100 a month. It would be in, incredibly expensive to go back and do a modification of a whole child support worksheet, not to mention the fact that it could take anywhere from two months on the short side to six or eight months to get into court and the existing child support order is in place until it's modified. Now, you can ask that it be modified retroactively back to the date of filing, but a lot of judges don't do that. So what it means is they could be stuck on the hook not only for uh, expenses that they're no longer incurring, but now throughout the whole pendency of the case, they could be stuck on the hook for paying these expenses which are no longer being incurred. So dads out there, hear me. Any expenses that the other party that mom wants to put on the child support worksheet that you know are not forever expenses, try your best to keep them off the child support worksheet and handle, handle them on a uh, reimbursement basis. Um, here in Georgia, another thing that a lot of uh, people do is they, they um, try and negotiate split of expenses for extracurricular activities. Um, but extracurricular activities are already built into the basic child support amount, which means that the court cannot force either parent to supplement the extracurricular activity expense, such as 50-50, uh, 80-20, 30-70, whatever it is. The court can't force you to do that. If a parent signs up to split extracurricular expenses, they need to know that that's on them. That's a voluntary thing. And what I do is I do a three-tiered cap, typically on extracurricular expenses. I might do like a K through four cap per parent, a five through eight cap per parent, and a nine through 12 cap per parent. It would typically increase a little bit because what you don't want to do is you don't want to hand the other party uh, an open open checkbook because you don't know if the other, if you just, if you leave it unspecified, parties are going to split their extracurricular expenses with no cap. Um, well, what if somebody has a rich uncle who says, let's put the kid on horseback riding lessons and that's $6,000 a year, but the rich uncle is going to pay for it well, now the other party is on the hook for $3,000 a year on the horseback riding lessons. So these are the kinds of things and reasons why, guys, you need a strong, knowledgeable attorney, um, one who's been through it, uh, preferably. Um, and But even if they haven't been through it, there's a lot of good good uh, guys and, and, and you know women and family rights attorneys out there who can help you out. Yeah, definitely. And the one major thing I wish I could shout from the mountaintops about child support is if you lose your job, if there's a major change, if you have more kids, there's many reasons in every state. The first thing you need to do is you need to go to your attorney and say, we need a modification because I don't know of a state that will allow you to backdate things. They may be able to backdate to filing, but I had a ton of guys the back half of 2021 come into my office and say, hey, I lost my job, so I wasn't making any money all of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, so I need to get my child support adjusted back there. I Most states, you're not going to be able to get that backdated, but you can a lot of times get it from data filing or worst case scenario, get into court within a couple, half a year, a couple months and get that modified to be the appropriate amount. Yeah. Mark, you know what I tell people uh, all the time, the order, and this goes for all aspects of all cases, the order is the order until there's a new order. So you got to follow the order. Now, by the way, in Georgia, there's a little known statute and people can contact me on this one where 
if you suffer a loss of income of more than, I believe it's 25%, then uh, you can actually, uh, I need to just revisit that statute, make sure I'm not, I'm not getting it wrong, but uh, there are, there are some very beneficial components to that statute where if you suffer a loss of more than 25%, I believe you can, you can immediately reduce your child support. Um, we'll have to look into that a little bit more, but guys, if you're in that situation, don't wait and read the statutes, read the uh, OCGA 9615. That's uh, all about child support. Read 1993. And you can just uh, Google these things. And, you know, they're they're written in easy enough language to where you could probably get the gist of it. But don't rely on your own understanding of it be, uh, and then go sign papers. Um, but I do encourage people read this stuff. Man, I don't wear a cape. You know, most I wear is a, a jacket, but I don't wear a cape. So do your own reading, do your own uh, research. Uh, if you're going to do that, make sure, though, that what you're reading is applicable to your state. Don't don't bring me something that, that you know is going on in California and how great they have it in California because I can point to another state where they have it much 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 worse. There are some states up north where I believe child support uh, could even go through like the end of college or something like that. You know, here New, New York, New York, I think it's 21. It can it's, go through yeah, Te yeah. Texas and there's four or five other states that they don't care about time. They don't care about the custody split. It's just based on how much the payer makes, like you mentioned, Georgia used to be. So, yeah, it, I, I, a lot of these common issues, the easiest way to get information, obviously, read it directly from the statute. And if it's a major issue, probably just about every law firm in your area will have written on the issue. And yeah. read it. take five minutes to read a couple articles, see if you can get the gist of it. Look me up on Facebook, Instagram, give me a call, send me an email. I'm here to help you guys. Awesome. So before we sign off here, um, Ed, one last time, where can they reach you at? They can reach me on uh, Facebook at Hecht Family Law. They can actually even reach me on uh, LinkedIn, Ed Hecht. Uh, I think it says Ed Hecht, Atlanta Divorce Attorney. They can reach me on uh, my email, which is on the screen, Ed at Hecht Family Law. They can call me, 678-887-6200. Um, they can text me. Uh, they can look me up online and you know just see whatever what other ways of reaching me there may be uh we're recording this on february 24th 2022 by the time some of you guys see this it may be two three five years out so maybe some other ways to reach me uh look for my videos uh that are out on social media and i'm adding more and more all the time and uh give us a call we're here to help yeah awesome so ed thank you so much for coming on tonight to the viewers, I felt the love this week. I've had five or six people schedule consultations that just wanted to talk to me from watching the show. I appreciate the support. Um, next week, we're going to have Pennsylvania slash New Jersey attorney Karen Ulmer on. So uh, that'll be our interview next Thursday. Um, Ed, thank you so much once again. And to all the viewers, me, we'll Mark. see you guys next Thursday. Awesome.